0: My name is Eric. I am a part-time video editor and I do all aspects of video production as a freelancer.
1: See, now it's hard for me because I know you and already there's like 50 questions I want to ask you, but I don't know how to like make it make sense. Actually, what was it about me asking you to do this that really
0: like interested you? Man, it's over six months ago. So I have bipolar disorder and I talked to you about wanting to kind of have a way to talk about it, like an outlet of a sort. And uh, I didn't know what kind of outlet I wanted. I just knew I wanted one. And yeah, I've been working on something, a personal project, a zine, that, that is kind of my me telling a story from my perspective, but I thought it would be cool to have a way to just do like an interview format type thing where just more of a conversation than me spending months and months and months trying to figure out what I want to put in this fucking zine. (laughs) I Uh, mean, is, is the zine,
1: is the zine going to take months and months because it legit is going to take months and months or just because you're sort of overanalyzing and being neurotic about it?
0: All of those things, um, <laughs> it's just every time I, I go back and try to write this stuff, it's like I have to revisit it. And then like, you know, you just keep on going over it and like, okay, how do I want to phrase this? Like this makes no sense. So I'll basically kind of explain what happened Okay. Um, to people who aren't. You know people are in the dark but in june 2019 i was on a trip in birthright israel and i had my second ever manic episode and mania is different for everybody but for me it is it's It's kind of like, you know, it gets as bad as it can get. Like, I get to the point where I am experiencing psychosis and I have to be hospitalized to come back to reality. And the zine is kind of a story about, like, how it started and when I noticed it started and then how it got to where it ended up.
1: So when you say psychosis, do you mean, like, hallucinations? Or how does that work? Okay.
0: There's, well... You know, the hallucinations are kind of just one part of it. It's like a, it's also the delusions, a big part of it. Like I become delusional and I create like a narrative in my mind and I build a storyline in my head and it becomes like my reality. Like these are not just thoughts that I'm thinking. This is like what the world is. And I am very much living in this world that I've manifested in my mind and yeah so it's so hard to describe because i often think about the analogy it's like describing a dream even if you have this dream that you're like man this is like the most insane dream like this this is is so cool and then you try to tell somebody about that dream and you're putting the words together and then they're listening to like man i don't know what the fuck <laughs> you're talking <laughs> right it's, just, it's impossible to translate so the zine is kind of me trying to do that trying to explain in words like where my brain goes and how you can just disconnect because i feel like until people experience that firsthand this disconnection from reality you can never truly understand it and people can get there by doing like you know hallucinogens but you know this happened to me when I was sober like I haven't drank in a year and a half I don't do drugs you know it's just lack of sleep and it was just a perfect storm of of things that led me to have this one and uh, because basically on the trip you know it's very like regimented every second is regimented they're basically I, I remember I was talking to this one guy about it I was like you know because they don't really give you much time to sleep. And I was like, why do you set it up so busy? Like, there's never any downtime. And this is somebody who, like, works for Birthright. So they were very cognizant of what the trip was and why it was designed how it was. And he's like, we try to light a fire under people. And in my head, I was like, you know, fires are dangerous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and, you know they send my kids like this trip was originally made for like 18 year olds to go straight out of college. And, you know, 18 year olds are a lot different than, you know, 27 to 32 year olds, which is the age group that I went with. Right. So your mindset is different. Like you don't, I feel like it's when you go to Israel, when you're 18, it's like extreme culture shock. You go there, you party, you know, all this stuff. But when you're older, it's like, I don't know. That's not what I'm about anymore. So, but yeah, so they basically map out every hour of the day. You wake up at like 7am to eat breakfast and then the rest of your day is planned to like the hour. And it's like that for almost two weeks, I think is a trip.
1: Yeah. That's not ten something days. I feel like I'd be able to deal with.
0: Yeah. 10 days, 10 days of your life is completely structured by birthright.
1: No, thanks. And,
0: Sometimes you'll go out at night and you won't, you won't get back until like 2 a.m. And then you're unwinding from this crazy day you've had. Like it's just you're in Israel. Like you're seeing like I'm trying to think like the first day. The first thing I was seeing was like looking over the border and just seeing like bombed out buildings and stuff like that. And then like you go to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum there, and it's like the most intense thing ever. And then you go to like the cemetery where all the Israeli soldiers are buried. And then it's just there's so much. That sounds like a lot. But there's no time to digest it. And so you get home at two at 1 a.m. and you're like un, you're processing all these things you just went through. For me, like, you know, I can't go to sleep if my brain is going a million miles an hour so I would not be able to fall asleep. And then the first night was like, okay, 2 a.m. I fell asleep maybe and then three and then four and then I wasn't getting any sleep. And also one of my roommates had sleep apnea so he snored very loudly. That didn't help things at all. But so yeah, I just went from like six hours to four hours to two hours to zero hours of sleep. And then when I don't sleep, that's when I get mad. It's just like a weird like, the lack of sleep is a symptom of it, but it's also what triggers it. So
1: Right. Yeah, I mean it couldn't have possibly I mean, it sounds like between the combination of not sleeping properly and being in a foreign place and getting all of this what am I trying to say? Having to deal with all of this like sensory overload and then like emotionally sensory overload, I guess you call it. I don't know. But that feels like a lot for one person to be able to take in like a ten in, in like a ten day crunch and sleep and i 'm not a sleep scientist, I really don 't know shit about this, but I feel like sleep is the time that you take your mind takes it to sort of process everything that you're going through, so when you 're not sleeping you 're not giving your mind time to adjust to everything that that 's going on so I, I see how all of that could lead to an episode of some sort.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm big into sleep. Like when I'm at home, I try to get at least seven to eight hours of sleep. And sometimes that means I'm late for shit, but you got to have that like REM sleep to rest your mind. So I try to take it, I take it pretty seriously. And it was frustrating because it was like out of my control, my sleep. Right. Um,
1: I mean, how was it, like, the first time it happened was, I mean, was it a similar, from a sensory standpoint, was it, like, a similar situation?
0: The first time was different because it was 2015, and I was very much into partying, and I smoked back then. So uh, it was also sleep-related, but it was not because of this crazy, overwhelming experience. It was because of jet lag and, and just partying. And, uh, yeah, that, that was a different experience but that that's a story in itself (laughs) if i could sum it up real quick it would be uh, i mean we
1: have time we don't have to sum it up real quick if you don't want to sum it up real quick oh man that's such a story
0: though (laughs) essentially yeah i had never experienced it the first time obviously it was my first time experiencing it so i didn't know what it was and the big difference the second time was around was like i i had kind of some idea of what was happening to me sure but the first time I didn't, so I just thought that I tapped into a new reality and I was seeing things that other people couldn't see, but they should be seeing. And essentially I broke into a government building naked because of how absolutely manic I was.
1: A government building?
0: <laughs> yes, from what I understand. I mean, I, <laughs> this one came up the next week. I don't morning. need to laugh.
1: It's,
0: I mean, it's funny. Like it's a, it's you know, that's the. The next morning, the sun came up. Like I, I don't even remember what time I went and broke into this thing. But the next morning, the sun came up, and like this old guy who was like a groundskeeper opened the gate, and and then I just walked through the gate because I figured, oh, this guy's opening it for me. There's so many layers to the story because like this story also has its own narrative, right? And to try to tell that narrative would take me a long time, like sure. hours. And I don't know. I don't really like that that one that much because I was very. It's more like that narrative that I created that time was very self-centered in a way, and it actually that whole experience kind of like humbled me because I created this narrative where I was like this famous musician, but I wasn't. I can't even fucking. I can barely play the piano, so that. That whole like narrative that I created back then was like me wanting to be famous, and I don't want that anymore. But I did back then, and it was a way of like, yeah, it was humbling because you, you're not instantly gonna become famous. And for some reason, when I had my episode, I just believed in a lot of things that just were outlandish. But uh, anyway, the sun came up, and this guy opens the gate, and then like there's like these armed guards there with like assault rifles so that's why I assume it was a government building.
1: Holy shit. I feel like
0: one of them said like like, this would be like if you broke into the White House but I don't think it was like on the same level of the White House but that's what they said to me because I think that was the only thing they could relate it to. I feel like I remember somebody saying the mayor's house but I was so far gone that like this stuff is kind of a blur. I remember a lot of these episodes but not, not every single detail. So when you came
1: to after all of that, or when you sort of like snapped back, like where were you?
0: That one took a while. A while, like hours, days? Weeks. Oh, wow. Even... Okay, so I'll kind of go through the timeline of these. And it's kind of coincidental that each of them kind of have the same timeline. The first time it happened mistakes were made by a friend of mine who didn't understand the severity of the situation so it led to me being manic for like 36 hours longer than i should have okay and also the the police because i got arrested and the police didn't really fully comprehend so they just let me go and i ended up getting lost in budapest for 36 hours that one happened in europe as well so both of them happened while i was traveling So yeah, I got lost in Budapest for like 36 hours manic and um, 36 hours is a long time to be manic like I am. So yeah, it's not good. And then the second time in Israel, mistakes were made by the guys of the trip, which led me to be manic 36 hours longer than I probably should have. I don't mean like you know it would have been like a snap of the finger if they made the right decision like it it, it takes me like two weeks of hospitalization to kind of come down from these episodes and then even after you leave the hospital you're still kind of up I guess like you're still high energy and then you get slapped in the face with like six months of just depression like the deepest depression I've ever been in unfortunately both times and it's it's six months of basically trying to dig yourself out of a hole, and it's funny because like there's, there's it's not really funny, but there's I've had two of these in four years, right? And six months, each episode was just pure recovery. So I considered one year of the last four years of my life just a complete wash of just you know, wow, not being able to, you just trying to get back to where you were, right? So, but. And that sounds really depressing but for me it's like i think there's strength in the struggle and that having to fight through that um the first one like getting through that the first time i became a better person after it and then this time same thing like i feel like i'm a better person because of it So in a way, I'm like strangely grateful for being bipolar. Like it it sounds like such a crazy thing to say, but I've become like, I just, I also, I sometimes relate it to like losing a loved one that's close to you is like when you go through that, it's a humbling experience because it's like all the things you really worried about in your life and the things that stress you out and you and you you know the things that bother you just seem much more inconsequential when these things happen so you know having gone through these two serious events in the last four years or five years uh four and a half really yeah just no it's been it's been five years five years last month wow the first one
1: well do you feel like are you afraid that it's going to happen again?
0: I was the first time there was a lot of fear after the first episode. And then, you know, a year goes by, two years go by, three go by. I went off medication eventually, you know, my doctor said she thought I would be okay. So, and I was I was good for like two years after that. (laughs) So eventually the fear subsides for sure. And honestly, like after the first one, I was like, well, this could have been a one-off. Like I smoked weed, you know, right before everything got kind of crazy. So maybe it was like a drug-induced thing. But yeah, then it happened again. And the second time, it was like, after the first time, I would remember in these episodes, you connect dots. Like, you know, a light will change, like a, a, you know it'll go from a red light to a green light and it's like okay green light that means good go follow that and uh, so i would stuff like that car horn is like a warning or whatever you just build these connections so after the first one happened i would you know be in the city and this stuff you know you can't get away from lights and sounds so Mm-mm. sometimes it would be like scary just like walking around and uh, but then the second time it was much more like instead of, like, a light or a sound, it would be, like, a a gust of wind or a bird flying by and these, like, kind of beautiful symbols. And I don't know. They just didn't scare me the second time. Like, in a way, I would, like, look for them because they're very spiritual experiences in a way. And that kind of, you know, is... There's a lot of spirituality in the storyline of my second episode. I mean, I was in... Right, you were in
1: Yeah, exactly. I was just about to say.
0: So it's like, come on. I mean, to have any more of a religious backdrop than that for your manic episode? I don't know.
1: I mean that that's the religious,
0: you know, you you hit the apex
1: of (laughs) of religious themed manic experiences, it sounds like
0: Yeah, so the first episode I'll tell you the and the I didn't think I'd get this much into detail about it, but why not fuck not?
1: I mean it's you can be as specific or as general as you want.
0: Like I don't want you to to I've never had a chance to talk about this stuff where somebody's willing to listen for any given amount of time, except my therapist. So I don't know. I don't I, it doesn't bother me to talk about this stuff. It's kind of um liberating in a way. But the first time I was in a museum in Vienna and I played a piano and I was like video recording it and the vibration of the piano like made the the video look strange after the fact and I can't really play piano I was trying to learn and I just played it erratically and I was convinced that somebody had played through me and so that kind of set this narrative of I was like this musical genius and I had to like spread my gifts to the world and I don't know it's just embarrassing talking about it to be honest because it's, it's just...
1: nothing to be embarrassed about
0: yeah and that one was also a little bit spiritual but it was just different It was you know I was mid-20s I just the things that I cared about at that point in my life were much more selfish than they are now the second one was like I was looking at a star in the sky and listening to a Philip Glass song Me 5 and in like an instant i was on like a swing set and in like an instant i was convinced that my mother who had passed away was like looking down on me and that was the first sign of my second episode was that so yeah much different and also like you know a spiritual person or somebody who believes in any religion would be like oh that's just you know uh, it is religion. exactly what you think
1: it is. It's your mom, you know, yeah. talking to you or something. Like nothing that.
0: wrong with that, like thinking that. So at the time I didn't think anything of it, but then things just kept escalating. So yeah. But it was like, I had never like believed in that 100% without a doubt, except in that moment. And even now I don't, no, for sure i don't you know and i'm okay with not knowing for sure but i don't believe in nothing and i don't believe in an exact answer either
1: you know it's funny i've been thinking about that a lot today just because you know i grew up catholic and christian and i i have a lot of issues with religion but i'm also thinking a lot about spirituality and i do like I feel a sense of spirituality. I don't really feel a connection to religion and everything that I associate religion with is bad, but people say, you know, can you prove there's a God when no one has ever had concrete proof that they've seen God? I mean, you can say that you saw God, but you could also A, be lying or B, having a premonition or a, Or an episode or hallucination of some sort, you know, but then I also think about like family members of mine who have passed away and sometimes like I don't have awake recollect. I don't have waking recollections of them like I don't have waking experiences with them, but I definitely have like sleep experiences. Where like I'll see them or I'll I don't know about speak to them, but you know, I had yeah
0: yeah that makes sense
1: so it just it puts that doubt in my head as to whether there really is some sort of like spiritual world or you know soul after you know afterlife or you know your souls live or whatever like it it's and i mean dreams do dreams are supposed to feel hallucinatory i mean i have pretty vivid dreams Mm -hmm. So I don't know, it just kind of, it, it brings up this whole thing. Like, you know, you don't know what you experienced was real. You don't know what you experienced was not real. And it feels weird kind of living in that kind of not sure. Cause as humans, like we want to be sure about shit. And I don't, I mean, you know, I, I would like to think that I'm the type of person who understands that nothing is absolute, but it still kind of fucks with your head when you have that kind of experience.
0: Now, every every time I have some kind of spiritual experience, it's like, oh, no, I'm going nuts. <laughs> um, no, but mania is very much like a dream, but you're awake. That's how I think of it, because you're right. still like building this kind of narrative or world in your mind. But instead of being asleep, you're awake. So it's almost like a the opposite of a lucid dream. Right. You know,
1: we were talking a while back and you had said something about, mental illness being like a superpower
0: oh i didn't say that that's what well, kanye, was. kanye
1: said uh <laughs> and you agreed
0: um, to an extent i don't i wouldn't that's a very that sounds good in the song
1: it's a very it's an egotistical thing to say but yeah. i i do agree with that statement in the sense that it gives you a sense of empathy that I think a lot of people may not have?
0: Yeah, I think it gives you the thing. And I i mean, everybody's experience with bipolar is different. But for me, it's like, in my mania, I am more happy than I've ever been in my entire life. And then... When I get out of the hospital it's like I'm more sad than I have ever been in my entire life so just seeing those two extremes like right next to each other anything in the middle is like good so it just gives you this like perspective and this appreciation of feeling okay and feeling normal like I mean I don't drink I don't do drugs and I don't really have any urge to because I'd like being level and experiencing things as we're kind of meant to because I think there is a lot of beauty in the world and you know when I have these episodes it's like that beauty is just enhanced but it's it's always there and then yeah and then, then it goes the other way with like depression it's like things get very dark but it's you know everything's still there it's like just you you see it in a different way
1: right i was about to say the world is the same you're just viewing it through a different lens
0: yeah yes and the problem with mania and depression is that like your thoughts aren't clear as they should be because it's like when I'm manic, it's just like I'm believing in things that aren't real. And then when you're depressed, it's like you just feel like you don't want to, you know, be around anymore because it's just like...
1: But you're also, I mean, you're believing in things that aren't real either way. It's just like an emotional, the emotional and the mood part of it are are on different different ends of the spectrum, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, that's why they say bipolar because it's like two opposite poles. Um, Right. So, yeah, I mean... So, yeah, that's why I get why Kanye says... uh, I mean, that lyric is just very... It was just when I I first heard... Like, I don't agree with everything Kanye does. Oh, God, no. (laughs) No, no, no. But, I mean it's just it was just the most simple it's a very simple way to what like what's the what's the text on the album cover i hate being bipolar it's awesome yes that is a very (laughs) simple yet beautiful way to describe it and that's why i think like that lyric and that album cover are so suited to him because it's like that that's how he portrays it but it's a lot you know deeper than just that but it's also like that's a pretty simple way to put it
1: yeah i mean i think you know you have to sometimes a lot of times simplify things for the masses and i mean i still don't think people get it
0: i don't think you can unfortunately i think my brother's learning because he's seen me go through two episodes now i hope i'm not like hitting this mic too much oh Um, was your brother there for both both times he wasn't there for the one in Europe, but he saw me when I came back. It was in the hospital. And then the second time he did fly out to Jerusalem because I had to spend two weeks in the hospital in Jerusalem. So, Yeah, so he's seen it twice now at the worst of it. Actually, he misses the he's never seen the. He's never seen me manic. Well, he has, but not like fully to the point where I'm not in a hospital yet, because once you're in the hospital, you get medicated and you're in a controlled environment. So it's like a very different thing than just me being in the world. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So. And um, your
1: brother, by the way, your brother is a twin.
0: Yes. And as of of now, he does not have bipolar disorder. He does definitely have some form of depression. That's for sure. But he's not bipolar. So. Knock on wood.
1: Yeah. I mean, do y'all have any other like weird twin things like they always talk about twins having like if somebody like stabs one of you the other one feels it or something like that and stuff like that
0: i don't know about all that but but we can read the room the same way without talking to each other like if twin twin esp i don't know is there a real like name for it when i don't know twin tuition there was like this film (laughs) called intuition where like I don't know if I believe in all that, but the the fact it is like you're you have somebody who is as close to you biologically that anyone can get. So you're you have so many similarities in just your genetics, but also in your upbringing. So you're brought up in the same environment. You have the same friends, but he's much different than me. You know, even though we're a lot alike, he's a lot different. I am more extroverted than he is in a lot of ways, which is interesting because I think you're pretty introverted. I yeah. Honestly, I don't know. It might be changing now because I've been like, kind of, you know, bipolar has a way of making you withdrawn. So sometimes he can be more extrovert than I am these days, but also like he is so creative in ways that I am not like his art is just he sees the world in, in like this certain light. Like I'm good at storytelling and photography and being able to kind of like say things a certain way, but he has this very, you know, his paintings. He can just, I don't, I, I don't even know how he does it, but, and he's also super productive too. So he's always like working on something and I, it takes me forever to finish anything but I think it's also because his stuff is very, it's not as, like, he puts himself in his artwork, but it's not as obvious. Okay. That makes sense. Like, everything I work on is very personal. Like, I um, mean, all my, all my main projects that I've worked on are very, very much related to me and my mindset, but his paintings are kind of like, he creates this world in painting, and yeah, I don't know how he does it, but... It's great. So, so
1: you're different enough.
0: It it seems like. Yeah, and you know, he. I don't want to talk too much about him because <laughs> he might hear this. And I don't have to say anything bad.
1: I mean, we can also bring you know, we can bring your brother on. You know, he can do his own podcast at
0: some. Oh, way. you want me to call him up right now? No,
1: I don't want him to do beach. it with you like right now.
0: Yeah, no, it's great having a twin because you see the world the same way, but you're also very different in certain ways. And if you figure out how to work with each other and not want to kill each other, you can do really cool things together because it's a dynamic that nobody else has, especially when you're creative. So
1: and you're both now. creative. So, so that, that works out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're moving in together in September. So hopefully we get some uh, more collaborations happening. So,
1: yeah. I mean, it, it it's, got to be a lot better than moving in with a stranger. So I got to ask you about the movie. Okay. So you completed, well, or close to completing, completed. I'm not really sure what the status is.
0: I'm looking at a to-do list right now, and there's two things crossed off. And then one, two, three, four, five things that aren't crossed off. And one of those five things is the film. So basically – This is something I've been working on since I was like early 20s. My mom had just passed away and me and my brother are adopted. We were born in Portland, Oregon. And when we were like 13, we like saw some photos and got some letters that we hadn't seen before. We always like got letters, but these were like, I think it was a, I don't know how I can't remember exactly, but. We were like, kind of, it was the first time we were really like, it was really discussed with us fully what, it was the first time I realized what it meant in a weird way. Like, my parents never hid the fact that we were adopted, but it was something that was always there. And I mean... It just wasn't something that was always talked about, even though like there's a video of me as a kid where like my babysitter's like saying, who's adopted, raise your hand. And I did it. Just You grow up and you have your parents and then that seems what's normal. Like we always knew we had family out there, but it wasn't something that we really thought much about or talked about much. And then when we were 13, I think it was a letter that my mom, my mom who raised me had written to us when we were like six months old. And she was in the letter, she's like describing how much it means for her to have had us because, you know, she couldn't have kids. So she had to adopt. And that's where we come into the picture. And I think that was like the first time where I was like, okay, this is, I don't know. But anyway, I could click that was where you. Yeah, that was, like, when we had this idea to, like, go out and visit our birth relatives by taking some long road trip. And we were 13 at the time, and we always said we were going to do it after high school. And then it wasn't until after my mom died. But in college, I went to college for, like, film and video. We had, like, a documentary class, and somebody had done a, a little short documentary about their parents being involved in, like, a cult. And it was really interesting. Oh, and my parents were event videographers, so they filmed, like, our entire childhood. And so we have, like, I don't even know, like, hundreds of tapes of us growing up.
1: What's that like? I, I Before we even, like, go into further specifics, what's it like? Like, I guess now, if you're a kid, like, your whole life is documented on social media. But yeah, I come from, you know, a time from before there were, like, camcorders and all that stuff. So... I have, there's like no footage of me available really up until I was like in my 20s. So what's it like to like have your whole life documented?
0: I mean, nobody really sees it though. It's just like they were right. just tapes. I think the first time I'm, first time my mom probably saw them was when, you know, I started working on this thing, like I was digitizing all the tapes and I remember... I have a vivid memory of her like just sitting in the room, just watching those tapes that I was like digitizing over and over again. And I think it was the first time she looked at them since she filmed them. And so, and when I started the project, my, the main idea for the storyline was like, you know, okay, we're going to go take this road trip, visit our birth relatives, interview relatives on each side and kind of tell the story about our adoption and and all that. And it was going to be mostly about, you know, the adoption and and, and that, but it became much more about my mother because she took the videos and, you know, her voice is like the narration of the thing. And um, you could just see in the videos like how happy she was that she was able to have these kids. And so the story became much more about her than it was before. And you don't even have to... (laughs) I didn't, I just show the footage to kind of show that part of it. You know, I didn't have to like explain that. You could just see it in the tapes. So yeah, we started working on 2012 and I did a screening in Newark. And I loved that screening. I did a cut and it was probably one of the best nights of my life. And everyone really loved the film. And then there were like two people that asked questions about stuff. And I was like, oh shit, like we didn't really dive into that. And I had my reasons for not diving into that stuff, but it made me kind of want to answer those questions. So we, we filmed more the next time I we went to Portland, this time we flew out and we did another cut. And the second cut this is probably, two, probably around 2015, maybe. So it was a big gap in between. Maybe it was 2014. I can't remember. And the second one just didn't feel as good. And didn't feel as special as the first one and there was like more details that yeah like I get why it just it for me there was stuff I kept out of the first cut for a reason because it wasn't what I thought the story was about and then the second cut we included those things and and then I took a break from it for a while because I had never worked that hard on something and it was extremely personal I mean it was just like kind of I still haven't been able to do anything else creatively really personal project wise like I do photography and I work on music videos and and stuff like that but nothing like really truly personal since the film because it's just like this thing that's not finished so it's been hard for me to kind of do anything else but then yeah so the third cut which is what I'm working on now is like taking out some of the stuff that we added to to the second cut and then just kind of like fine-tuning things I'm also a much better video editor than I was back then so I can like (laughs) clean up the audio real nice clean up the color Cause like, I was like 20, 23, 24 when I did this, like, you know, things I know now that I wish I knew then about well, filmmaking. I mean,
1: also technology's improved so significantly in the last yeah. eight to 10 years.
0: So yeah, still a work in progress, but I'm hoping to release it this year. Uh, I'm not setting a date because that stuff always just makes me anxious. But uh, yeah, 2020 is the plan. So
1: now it's recorded. So you can't back down from that, Eric. <laughs> it's <laughs> okay. saved for posterity. Yeah. It's gotta be to work on such a personal thing and actually have the public like watch it. Cause I'm I put a lot of myself out into the world, but there's stuff that I hold back, like very specific stuff that I hold back. And I don't know if I'm ready to be like i can be like eighty five percent transparent I don't know if I'm good with being like a hundred percent transparent how do you like what does it feel like for you to do that and kind of put yourself out into the world that way?
0: I mean I was actually watching the second cut with a girl I was dating and I was just like you know sinking back into to my chair just like oh god and the first one was very much like that too it was like at the end credits i was like just waiting for people to like react because it was like the the credits rolled and then like there was like a pause and then people clapped and i was like that pause was like the longest pause (laughs) of my life 30
1: seconds feels like 30
0: hours but then when people did clap it was like so powerful because it was genuine right and that made me so happy because I, I, it's very, you know, I go to like comedy shows and like, you know, you can tell when people like, fake laughter or you know, it was genuine, applause or like a bad show, you know. Yeah. It was genuine and that felt amazing. And then the second time, it was still genuine, but it was just like, the second cut was intense and it was too intense, I think. So, we want to backpedal a bit the second cut was pretty close to hundred percent transparency and uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's important though to put yourself out there sometimes because it, I don't know. We all have like an interesting story to tell, you know, and people don't talk about themselves in that way as much as maybe they should.
1: I, mean, I personally I think, think people, well, you go ahead.
0: I just think people can relate to each other more than they think. And it doesn't, it takes a while before people re- can connect on that level because they hold stuff inside so much so
1: people are deathly afraid of being judged or being seen as like abnormal i guess
0: yeah yeah and i i don't i don't know i don't care (laughs) but if somebody doesn't like me i try to be a good person i really do there's mistakes i've made but I, i i really do try to be a good person and sometimes i wish i could be better but I, you know, I'm not pretending to be something I'm not. So if somebody doesn't like me, then I don't need them in my life. So, yeah.
1: Amen to that. So, I mean, I guess in regards to like your mental health, I mean, it's been a year and change since your Mm -hmm. last episode. Like, how are you feeling?
0: lately? I feel... Because I can
1: say even like... So we went on a trip, you and I and a couple of other friends, like weeks yeah after you got out of the hospital, and you didn't seem like to me. You definitely seemed to be in like a vulnerable place, but not in like a like you were still Eric. You were just maybe like a a, a more reserved. Kind of. And yeah. I also didn't know you then as well as I know you now. I mean, I think that right. trip was probably, like, a big turning point in our relationship. Mm-hmm. But you didn't seem, like, especially depressed. Like, in a way that when I'm depressed, you can very easily tell that I'm depressed. Like, it didn't, right. it didn't seem so much different than you do now.
0: Um, I definitely internalize it. There were... Yeah, like we hadn't really socialized too much. So like you, you know, there were definitely things my brother noticed and some of my friends noticed, but I internalize a lot of, you know, that stuff. I remember I was writing a lot. I think I wrote more in those six months than I've written ever in my entire life. And a lot of that is what's going into the zine. But uh, yeah, but now, I mean, what's happening now in the world is, is insane. It's a lot. And honestly, like if this had happened right after my episode, it would have been, it it would have not been great. Sure. Um, But before this happened, I was in a really good place. Like my freelance career, (coughs) I was going to make more more in March freelance wise than I ever had ever. And that was a big deal for me because I I risked a lot moving part-time at my job to be able to jump into this freelance life and it was like paying off finally and then all this stuff happened and all my freelance disappeared and also my dating life was like an all-time high and then this stuff happened and it was just like i don't know it's crazy the world is crazy right now it's just like i i I often say like you can't nobody would write this in a science fiction movie (laughs) because it's so it's It's so unbelievable yeah yeah like it's just so i like i just i don't understand I'm trying to understand but it's just it's like yeah it's bad I do think and this is like you know I talked about before about like the strength and the struggle I I do think and I do really hope that people will come out of this like and have a better appreciation for the people around them and not take things so seriously like your job is not that important. Like it's not. And I know that for some people it's like their career is everything, but I am done thinking that way. I do a good job because I want the work that I do to have meaning. And I don't do it to get ahead. I don't do it to make more money. I don't do it to climb a ladder. I do it because people are watching it. Somebody's, watching something I create and it's they should be able to experience it in the best way that I can create it and it's simple so yeah I just don't stress as much about work anymore and I hope people you know after all this will like kind of see things in a certain light like you know there's like more to life than your job because it's like COVID just like changed everyone's reality in like less than a week you know we were in the office and then we were home and now it's been months and we might not be in the office again until 2021 so it's like nobody knew that was gonna happen nobody was prepared for that reality right yeah nobody
1: nobody called this in january yeah when that ball dropped (laughs) there was never a thought
0: so if some kind of change and you know you see the change that's happening And it's, like, taken on this very specific kind of thing right now with um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I just think it's, like, just, I've been watching a lot of Trevor Noah, and he, like, said, like, it was the video in Central Park. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was, Uh, like, Watch.
1: Yeah, Collins was his last name. I don't remember his first name.
0: But like that, he said like that was like the first thing. And then, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, just like one thing after that. And it was just like, everyone has been shut up in their homes, not doing anything, but nothing to do but be on their computers. And it just like, it was like, you know, this moment where it was just, people had something to talk about all at once. And people wanted something to change. And it's a positive thing and it's so frustrating that the world is not on one team in that regard and it's like it's just so upsetting because it's not complicated
1: nope, Um not at all
0: yeah so and it just kind of makes me think about like capitalism in general and like the way things work and this 40 hour work week and stuff like that it's just like come on
1: yeah i mean i you know, one of the other kind of struggles that I have, in addition to spirituality, is sort of the capitalism versus socialism debate, where I'm kind right. of like, you know, I, I have been very poor in my life. And I have been middle class, like I've never been wealthy. And actually, up until recently, I, I would consider myself among, like, I was check to check. So I've been poor for the overwhelming majority of my life. I don't want too much of it, but I want enough to like pay my bills and comfortably and live a modest life. And, you know, the way that I've been able to do that is through work. And I'm grateful for that at the same time I know what it is like to be like maybe not dirt poor, but certainly lower class. I mean, I lived, you know, on five bucks an hour, six bucks an hour, you know, seven bucks an hour and still had to pay rent and bills. And I think that there are like the disparity on both ends of the spectrum, having people who are just like printing money and then having folks who are like, dirt, dirt, poor, like both of those things I think are bad. Right. And I think that there needs to be more balance. Yeah. People and I'm like not...
0: Jeff Bezos can't exist. Right.
1: Like, you know, J- Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, like, you know, people with just like ostentatious amounts of money should not exist. Right. But people also shouldn't be begging on the street. Yeah. Like, there's got to be some kind of balance.
0: I don't know what the answer is. I just think that the 40-hour work week isn't good for anyone's mental health.
1: No. I mean, I, <laughs>
0: If you want to work that much, it's one thing. But there's people who don't have a choice. And right. um, that's a very frustrating thing.
1: You become a slave to your job. You don't get to live your own life. You're living for a... Cor- you know, and in most cases, you're living for a corporation.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's like... I'm sure coworkers are going to hear this, but it's not a surprise. Like that's one of the reasons I moved part-time because I just felt like I was getting like kind of sucked into this quarter machine. And I was just like, I don't want to do this. So I took a risk of doing like the freelance stuff and financially it's like not been the most lucrative decision in my life, but I'm much happier than I was when I was working full-time. So yeah. Good.
1: I mean, that's important. I mean, do you, like, I know you see a therapist. Like, are are you actually taking meds to control this?
0: Yeah. I just take a mood stabilizer right now.
1: Okay. So,
0: yeah. Do you want specifics?
1: No. and not. I mean, look, <laughs> you, you know, you didn't even have to be that specific. It's whatever you're comfortable. Yeah,
0: explaining. I don't really care. Yeah. I think the, a big problem, obviously, and this is something that I thought a lot about when I first came back was... I want to do something to rid the stigma because it's just like ridiculous at this point that there is any negative connotation to getting therapy. I often say like, if you're living in this reality and you're not seeing a therapist, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I, am,
1: I am vigorously agreeing with you. right <laughs> It's so, so true.
0: Yeah. Like get over it it's not a perfect world and we should stop pretending that we're perfect people. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, the definition of normal that I think I grew up with is so damaging and like dangerous because it's not normal and nobody's normal. And the people who say that they're normal are less normal than the people who actually admit that they're not normal.
0: Oh, so I was thinking a lot about before this, you know, Toxic positivity is something I've been thinking a lot about. Okay, explain explain that to me. I don't know. You watch YouTube and you see these YouTubers are like, create every day. Next day is going to be better than this one. Oh, is, is it like, like that hustle mentality kind of? Thing? Yeah, just like good vibes only, positive vibes only, like all that stuff. It's like, I mean, give me I'm, a break.
1: I'm kind of a positive vibes only person. I mean, I believe in... I mean,
0: but, Mike, the fact is you're talking to me right now about mental health.
1: Mm.
0: So that's not what I'm talking about. Right. Like, you can be a positive person. This is like toxic positivity where you're only a positive person. You don't acknowledge, you don't acknowledge that, right other side of it. To pretend via your YouTube channel that the world is this perfect place and you could have what I have if you just try to be positive is just not true. Right. And I think it's harmful to younger people to – Look up to people who say that to be a thing and I think some YouTubers are kind of like realizing that like I I spent a lot of time watching Casey Neistat and and he's definitely been guilty of that in a way but lately he stepped away from the platform and and kind of it's it's interesting because I just think that certain people are like kind of realizing that I don't know toxic positivity. It's just yeah. Something I've been thinking about lately, and it's just like, how can you be that positive in a time like this?
1: Well, yeah, in these times, I feel like it's, it's I mean, while I think it's important to not completely fall down the path of despair. Yes. And it's, it's easy to do that, given the times that we're living in. I, th- I mean, I think it's important to be hopeful, as opposed to be positive. And there's a semantic difference there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm still, like, positive about certain things. But, yeah, it's okay to be sad. Like, I just, that's that's the thing that bothers me. It's like, it, it, you know, we're talking about, like, the stigma of mental illness. And then you're talking about YouTubers who, like, are just happy every day. But they're not. Like, they're just showing people that they're happy every day. They're not well, they're, actually... they're happy.
1: acting. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm and saying? And they're cutting out
0: the bad parts of their lives. So, like but just showing kids that and like, this is my life. It's just like, no, it's not. Like you're not showing any of the bad parts. So it's the same thing with like the stigma of mental health. It's like, just, I don't know. I'm not as well versed in this stuff as I would like to be, but all I know is that, yeah, it's okay to be not okay. So
1: definitely is, it definitely is.
0: Well, I feel like this is a good segue to talk about, you know, you mentioned the masculinity topic, so there's something that I would like to go on that. I don't have that much to say about it, but it made me think of one thing specifically, is this like kind of, It made me think of like the whole Alpha versus beta kind of dynamic and like to get ahead, you have to like Go, go, go you know, you got to like alpha, beta, very simple. Okay. Yeah. So when you hear those two words without any context at all, what would you think is better?
1: I mean, you're asking me this question. We're taught, to, we're, we're taught to believe that alpha is better.
0: Why? Why is alpha better? Because A is before B in the alphabet. It's the first <laughs> letter. I mean, that's a very <laughs> simple way to look at it. Right. But I was actually on that birthright trip, somebody had said to me, sometimes the people who are more quiet and reserved, when they speak up, their words hold more weight, which is something I took to heart because I've always been kind of this like quiet kid. Like, I, you know, you grow up around like jocks and all these people who are like confident, you know, getting all the girls, stuff like that, you know, bullies. And that stuff continues on. It doesn't stop after high school, it doesn't stop after college. That whole mindset is you gotta step on people to get ahead in this world. I think a lot of that has to do with masculinity and and what it means to feel masculine and be a man is to be like, you gotta win, win, win. And I don't know.
1: Well, I think it's a combination of what we're taught about masculinity and then what we're taught about what it means to succeed in America like it's it's a combination of the you know roll over people don't show emotion, you're the head of the household, what you say, and only what you say matters plus the in order to succeed, you have to you know climb up the corporate ladder and be self made and make all of this money and so it's you know when those two converge, it just turns into this big like fucking cloud of garbage, yeah. And I I do think that that narrative is starting to change very slowly. You know, you do see, I think, I think there is less, there's starting to become less rewarding of alpha people and more acknowledgement of people who are maybe less aggressive. Is aggressive the right word? I
0: I mean, just like... For me, it's like I'm a quiet person. Like I don't always need to say something. I don't always feel the need to be the center of attention. Like I can listen and be just as content as I am, you know, I like I don't feel the need to speak up all the time. Like if I have something to say, then I'll say it. But it's like I don't always need to have an answer. Like I can listen just as well and feel okay with that. But this idea of like, I think it's like, it's okay to follow sometimes because you can learn from other people. Like you don't always have to be in charge and and I don't know why there's such a negative connotation with that. Like I don't know. I thought mo- I was thinking more clearly about this earlier, but um, <laughs> like I mean it kind of sums it up with what that guy said, you know, just cuz somebody's not always like at the forefront of a conversation doesn't mean they have any less to say. Right. It's just like they don't always feel a need to say everything. So
1: Yeah, I have a lot more respect for people who choose their words. I mean, I think the way I see it is like big personality versus like not big personality. And people that have big personalities tend to make me uncomfortable. So, and I guess you could, I mean, that does kind of split pretty cleanly down like the alpha versus beta line.
0: It's like, oh, if I'm not this like assertive, then there must be something wrong with me. Right. Which I don't think is necessarily true.
1: You you can be assertive without being like loud and like demonstrably uh, forceful. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You don't have to be a bully about it.
0: Yeah. That's like, yeah, that's, you know, that's a good way to put it. Because honestly, like I've never learned from somebody who is mean to me. And I just want to go on the record, I'm not very well versed in what we're talking about right now, but I'm trying my best. I mean,
1: I'm not either, and I
0: host this motherfucker, so it's okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like, we're just two people talking, man. But I I, I agree with you. I, I definitely, you know, I grew up, you know, my home life and, you know, some of my early work life as well, and even some of my more recent work life has been dealing with people who are trying to prove that they are the authority and they're going to scream and bully and you know, use physical violence or emotional violence to sort of have their way. And that never results in anything good. Even if you get results, I think most people are gonna disconnect from that kind of behavior at some point.
0: Yeah. I don't think anything good comes from working out of fear. Right. Um, So, you know, that goes back to like, I'm going to do the best I can just because I want to do it for me and not because I'm afraid of being, not because I'm afraid to get in trouble. (laughs) Right. You know? Right. So that's like kind of just how I look at my work life. Like if this is, if I am proud of this, And I think that's, you know, but it's very, when you're working in a creative field, it's kind of liberating in that way where, you know, you are the person that is creating that that piece of content. So I don't know when I had to do spreadsheets, I felt so inadequate. (laughs) That's like, I don't know what else to say. It's just like, I'm very fortunate in that I chose a career path that not only I'm good at, to a certain degree, definitely could be better, but also something that kind of makes me happy. So another reason why I went from full-time to having a more serious job to, you know, part-time doing kind of what I like to do, because I'm just un- incapable of doing things that I don't want to be doing, because if I don't do them, somebody will be mad at me, or I won't make enough money or something like that
1: but that's such a great priority shift at least i think it is
0: that shift coincided with me going to therapy it happened at the same time i was just like kind of a wreck mentally and i was like i can't keep doing this because it's just gonna destroy me so yeah i i think i got started going to therapy like be- right before i made the shift and then it was like, kind of like therapy is great because everyone has these racing thoughts all the time. They have these thoughts going through their minds all the time. And it's not until you kind of like put them into words and like kind of try to construct it into something that makes sense to somebody else, where you can be like, you're not only saying it to make sense to somebody else. You're also saying it to make sense of it to yourself because you're able to put it in like to words. So, like half the time in therapy, my therapist doesn't really say that much. It's just me kind of going off with my thoughts and (laughs) kind of trying to put them all together, and then he'll bounce in when he needs to bounce in. But yeah, you have a final question, and there's something else I wanted to go off on that, so I'll wait for that. Okay. going wait so ask me your do i have question?
1: to ask the question because yeah. you already know what the question is
0: i know but you have to ask it because i have to react to it
1: so here's the question that i ask at the end of all of my podcasts which is what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given
0: so i yeah it's funny because like at work we ask people this question and i heard sammy's interview. And everyone always has a quick answer for it. And I was just like, man, I can't think of anything. But the first thing I thought about was my mother. She was like a history teacher. She started like unions at her college that she worked at. And she was uh, like super feminist. And I don't even know what feminism was when I was a kid. But yeah, so... I was very fortunate to have grown up with a very progressive mother and uh, it wasn't so much a specific thing she said. Like I couldn't think of any one specific thing that she said, but I just remember our conversations are always so impactful. Like after she died, I had a dream and I don't even know what we were talking about, but we just had like another conversation and I broke down at the end of it because like when normally when people give you advice they're kind of telling you to do something right or this is like this is like how you should do things yeah Mm -hmm. she was so good at not telling you like what to do like she would listen and let you talk and then she had a way of like guiding your thoughts to a point where you can kind of like come up with your own answer and uh, yeah and i think that's important in a lot of ways because every single person is different. They're going to view the world a different way through a different set of eyes. And what works for you might not work for somebody else. And I think that some people need to kind of figure things out for themselves and to have somebody to have had somebody in my life that was able to do that to kind of just guide your thoughts to this like point where you can kind of be like, okay, maybe I should do this or whatever without actually telling you to do that. Like she would guide you in the right direction. And, um, honestly the closest thing I've had to that since she passed away was therapy because it's their job to kind of do that, to kind of like help you figure things out for yourself. And so it wasn't like, I can't think of like one specific thing she said or one quote. There's plenty of them. I know there are, but like nothing stands out and just like, It's just, I think, the ability to kind of just dissect your thoughts and, like, I don't know.
1: So maybe, like, advice by example as opposed to actually sitting down in front of you and giving you, like, a piece of wisdom.
0: Yeah. You know, like, she was a good person and she would – i would do if i would say something that was wrong she would let me know she'd be the first to let me know and uh, yeah just uh, there's nothing specific i think of but i just thought about like you know she helped train me in my ability to kind of that's one thing i realized through this whole like quarantine is like there's a lot of people out there right now who are spending a hell of a lot of time with their own thoughts and you got to learn to be comfortable with them and i am and i think A lot of that has to do with the fact that she, you know, would let us kind of figure it out for ourselves. Like I chose my career path. My brother chose his. They never told us you should do this. You should do that. She just wanted us to get some kind of college degree. And yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. That's perfect.
1: That is absolutely perfect. Is there anything else that you wanted to add just in terms of the conversation in general?
0: Yeah, so like going back to the the mania, which was obviously a big part of this conversation, the zine that I'm working on is kind of me trying to, trying to share my perspective on what I go through and like what happens to me and why my brain can go this way. And I'm hoping that people can kind of, understand or even better relate to it you know like when we first talked over lunch I feel like I remember talking to you over lunch about your podcast and just how you in general you know are a public speaker like I always wanted to to tell this story and Mazine is a way for me to do that so keep an eye out but also I'm grateful to have had this because one thing that is unfortunate about talking about mental health is that there's not a lot of people who are listening to, who are willing to listen for a long amount of time, which is, can be very frustrating, especially when you're in the midst of it because people get tired and they don't want to listen, which is why therapy is so important because somebody's there to, somebody's getting paid to, to, to listen to you. So.
1: Right. But doesn't it sometimes, so this is a problem I have sometimes because I, I do understand that, there are not a lot of people willing to hear you talk about mental health on like a personal level, but doesn't it ever make you feel weird that, because when I'm really depressed, I feel like this sucks. Like I'm feeling all these feelings and the only person that is willing to talk to me, I have to pay.
0: Well, I think unfortunately that like, I think there are people that are willing to listen, but it's like, you know, people have their own stuff, right. You know, that they're going through and I feel like there's gotta be some kind of balance in the relationship where if one person gives somebody a lot of stuff, they have to be willing to take it in return. Sure. And I think you are a person who I can do that with, but it has to be even, you know, in some way because if it's one person doing all of it and the other person doing a little bit, then that person is like just kind of, you know being a receptacle kind of yeah it has to be like a give and take so and it's hard to find those people who are willing to do that so yeah yes it sucks that we have to pay for therapy <laughs> we we shouldn't have to pay we shouldn't have to pay for therapy right.
1: yes you're absolutely right and i i mean that's another
0: problem with it but yeah
1: one thing i hope is that there will be some point down the line probably after you and i are both gone when therapy will be normalized in such a way that it will be free or low cost to people.
0: Yeah. I mean, they should have put Bernie Sanders in there, in my opinion.
1: <laughs>
0: what can you do?
1: What can you do? We have the cards that were dealt, and we got to play them the best way we can.
0: Which is why people need to vote in November.
1: Vote, motherfuckers. Vote like yeah. i'm done being like nice to people i mean i feel like i was done being nice to people about that shit a long time ago but now it's like wearing a mask like i'm not you can't kindly say hey excuse me sir or madam would you like to wear a mask like no you dumbass wear a fucking mask
0: but there's still people who are on the other side of the coin because they're the
1: dumb they're idiots yeah. but you can't like i you know when it's like i'm a big fan of you know massaging people to kind of get your point but sometimes when the point is so, like, blatant and obvious, like, the only thing that works is shame.
0: Yeah. I remember, like, I've always been the type of person who would try to, like, have a meet, like a, a peaceful conversation with somebody to try to sway their ways. But there were a couple people at the beginning of the whole uh, movement that I was just like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Like, come on.
1: Like, I used to say, I used to say sometimes, sometimes you just have to punch somebody in the face. And I don't advocate violence. But, you know, verbally, there are times when you just got to punch somebody in the face. (laughs)